you have your Bibles, we are in John chapter 4, and uh, we're continuing to walk through this gospel account and around our theme of real faith. And uh, we, have a, we have a gift, a blessing, and that as we open and walk through this text, we're going to have a front row seat to see a journey of faith of a Roman official uh, and a desperate dad come to that that time and place of placing his entire weight and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Um, as a dad, uh, there is not much that I will not do for my kids. I'll do, do just about anything. Matter of fact, we find ourselves as parents sometimes doing things we thought or said we would never do because it involves our children. And uh, for me personally, I, I don't like snakes. I don't, I don't, I don't spend time around snakes. I don't, I don't, play with snakes. If snakes are around, I'm usually out. <laughs> I'm just getting away. One of my boys loves snakes and fascinated by them, uh, but me not so much. And so I just stay away from them in general. But over this past summer, we, were, we went actually to Atlanta to see some missionary friends from Brazil who are on furlough, and they had friends that had a pool. And in May in, in Atlanta, the water's not really warm yet. It, it's still really cold, which how people swim in Arctic water like amazes me. Like their lips are blue and they're like, the water's great. And I'm like, I'm not getting in there. And so they're swimming and I'm sitting on the edge of the pool and, and uh, you know, got my, got my feet in there. And I just see this snake just, just coming across the water in the swimming pool. And it's going across the side of the swimming pool. And my youngest daughter is just kind of hanging on to the side, just having the time of her life. And I see the snake and the snake is headed for her. I don't think the snake is necessarily in attack mode, but I don't know. And so, so where, in, where I would typically run from a snake, I grabbed the snake and I hurled it like out of the pool uh, against the back fence line. And, um, and I'm just gonna be honest. I kind of felt like a hero in, in that moment, but, 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 but like my, my family reminds me that this, the snake was really not that big, as so they say. I, I think it was like an anaconda, personally. But I picked up that thing and I, and I hurled it. But but in general, I just don't mess with snakes. But when it deals with one of my children, I will grab a snake and I will I will heave it, even if it's a little baby, right? Um, but but I, I say that just being silly because we all do kind of silly things at times, and that that's silly. But I think we also would all say that there are those not so silly moments when there is a lot on the line and whether it is the need to get to a doctor, whether it is a need to get to a physician, whether it's a need to get to an emergency room, whatever it takes, when we see our children and we see they are in a desperate situation, we as parents will do desperate things. We will do whatever it takes to get our child in front of whoever it is that they need to get in front of. And what we are going to see is we are going to see a desperate father in this text that will do absolutely whatever it takes to get his son who is close to death and to get him in front of the right person. And ultimately, we are going to see this daddy come to saving faith in the text. So our theme or main idea this morning is that real faith is a growing faith through a relationship with Jesus. And I mentioned this uh, kind of just a few moments ago, but I really do. I really want to encourage us all. I want us to examine our faith 
I want us to examine our belief, our trust in Jesus. And we're going to see a growing faith in this royal official. So before we jump in a little context, Jesus has just spent time in Samaria of all places. If you look at Jerusalem, he had been in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Uh, In John chapter 3, the disciple John walks us through that. That's his encounter with Nicodemus. Uh, That's where he cleansed the temple on, on the front end of his ministry. The Bible says he did many other signs. And so he's moved out of Jerusalem. He moved to the Judean countryside. Uh, And he's on his way to Galilee, which is where we're going to be today. But he he had to go to Samaria because there was a far from God woman. And she desperately needed God's grace and God's forgiveness and forgiveness and restoration with God. And so Jesus had to go. And it was there that he met the Samaritan woman, John 4. He he walks us through that account and, and just how he meets her where she's at, which I love. And offers his grace and forgiveness. And what does she do? She takes off running into the town. And she says, let me tell you about the man who told me everything about myself. And you see the Samaritans believing in Jesus. You see them receiving Jesus. You see them staying with Jesus. And they want him to stay longer. But what we're jumping in is Jesus did stay about two more days. But he's headed into, he's headed into Galilee. And so in John chapter 4 verse 43 The Bible says this, that after the two days, he departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And this, honestly, this is, this is, this is hard to get our minds, my mind and heart around is, is here's Jesus. Jesus is God. He has humbled himself, clothed in flesh, dwelt among us. That he was his incarnation, his, 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 his birth was into a Jewish family. Jesus is the king of the Jews. But the Bible tells us that his own people, the Jews, rejected him. Especially, and we see this walking through the text, the religious leaders uh, of the day, that they were, they were even hostile, as we'll see, that towards Christ. And even John said in John chapter 1, when he was kind of laying the groundwork for his gospel, he says in John 1.11 that he, Christ, came to his own but his own people didn't receive him. That that when Jesus had gone to Nazareth, this is where he grew up. When Christ had come, his earthly ministry has begun. He goes back to Nazareth. He goes into the synagogue, which I'm sure he grew up going into. And he takes the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah and he says to those in the room, today this prophecy has been fulfilled before your eyes. And the people in the synagogue completely lost their minds. They lost their minds to the point where they took him and physically wanted to kill him, throw him off a cliff. And so, so his, his, his own people are rejecting him. And we're going to see this growing hostility, especially with, between the Jewish leaders. But at the same time, his fame is spreading like wildfire. Like Jesus, the miracle worker, his, his fame is spreading all over. Why? Because of no doubt the signs and wonders that he, he brings, like the, the news is traveling fast. Matter of fact, John says at the very last verse of his gospel, he says this, if all the things that Jesus did were written down, the books, like books, the entire world couldn't contain the books that would be written. And so he had been in Jerusalem. He performed signs as the Bible teaches us. He He cleansed the temple. He turned water into wine. And no doubt his fame is spreading. And so 
spreading all over. So you got Galileans who were in town. Now they're back in their homes. And who doesn't want to see the miracle worker come to town? I mean, they are pumped. They are not pumped because of who Jesus is. They are pumped for what his hands can do. They're like, we saw this, we heard this. I mean, who doesn't, who have we took a, a pad and pencil, a pencil and said, hey, fill in all the broken areas of your life that with a miracle could make it all better. And I'm sure we could just come up with a laundry list of things that with just a word, we knew that, that God could work. But they're not interested in his mission. They're interested in his hands. What can your hands do? They want to see the supernatural. And so this miracle worker has come. And as he's come, he's being welcomed. Look at verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. In verse 46, so he came again to Cana in Galilee. So he's returning to Cana where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. So this is really where we're getting in the meat of the text. And the Bible says that an official, and you dig into that word, your, your translation, depending on what it says, it might say noble man. Uh, the word literally means one belonging to a king. And so this royal official has come and uh, he is most likely serving who was at the time king of that region of Galilee, King Herod Antipas, who was kind of over the Galilee area. And his daddy was Herod the Great. He was the wicked, twisted, sick, messed up ruler living in Jerusalem at the time of Christ's birth. He was the one when the wise men had come in, he was like, murder every child age two and under. Like he, was, he was threatened. His kingdom was threatened. And so, so, so though this is his son, Herod Antipas. Likely, this Roman official is serving. He's one who belongs to the king. And so he's with this king, but, but he's a desperate dad. Like, put the title to the side. He's a dad who is desperate, desperate to see his child healed. In verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and to heal his son, for he was at the point of death. I don't want to just, just glaze over that and just keep reading. I want to, I want to, I want to sympathize. I know that even as we read that verse, that there are parents who have gone through the tragedy of losing a child. It strikes a chord and a depth that, that is hard to even articulate or put into words. So I don't want us to miss this dad whose son is very sick and will do whatever it takes to get his son healed. And so whatever that means, he's going, he hears the miracle worker is coming to town. He's going to see this miracle worker. He is not, he is not going after Jesus for Jesus. He is what some might relate to as someone who believes in a higher power. And so he believes in this higher power. And so he hears that this higher power and this miracle working man has made his way back to Cana. And so he, he makes no doubt a beeline for Cana. He'll do whatever it takes. Verse 48, Jesus said to him, 
Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And reading the text, you think he's just having a conversation with this royal official. But digging into the original language, in our context, it wouldn't be you, it would be y'all. He's speaking plural. He's saying you all. Literally, it would be unless you all seem wonders, you all will not believe. He's speaking to the crowd. The crowd is gathered to see the miracle worker. They want to be amazed. They want to be wowed. They want to be wooed. They want to be in awe. They want to see the show. They might even get a meal out of it. They want to see great, great things. They want to be entertained. And I know all of us have those list of things of those broken areas that with just a word, the miracle worker could work. But again, they're not interested in the mission. They're interested in the miracles. To which real faith is very important us to, to define today. Real faith is more than curiosity and selfish desire. That is not real faith. And that's what we're seeing in the text. We're seeing multitudes who are just coming around because the miracle workers in town, they want to see, they want to experience. They're looking for the feels like they, they want to see, they want to see the mighty works, but they're not interested in Jesus. They are curious. They have needs. They want to see his hands do something to which we are reminded real faith is more than intellectual agreement. It is more than just simply saying, yes, I believe there's a higher power. It's way more than, than, than just um, even acknowledging the fact that Jesus is the son of God. Is that even the demons believe and shudder. That there's a difference between it being right here and, and, and real faith, which is rooted in our hearts and transforms our hearts. Verse 49, the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. He, he, he's not wanting a theology lesson right now. He just wants his son healed. That's what he wants right now. And the language again there says, sir, come down. That language, it, it, it communicates repetition. In other words, come down, come down, come down, come down. You have to come down. In verse 50, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. What a shift in dynamic that happened in that, in that, in that, in that promise that we see real faith is not, it's not being curious. It's not intellectual agreement. It's not selfish desire. Real faith believes in the promise in the person of Jesus. Jesus gave this man a promise. He said, go and your son will live. And all the Bible says after that is that he went, he went away. And all of a sudden, all that desperation, all of that urgency, all of a sudden almost just like disappears from the story. And we don't know at the, at the word that if he just got on his horse, if he had a horse and went straight back to that 16 mile trip to Capernaum, I don't know if he was walking. I don't know if he was like, okay, God said it. I believe it. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to stay around Jesus a little bit longer. We don't know that. But what we do know is that his faith, 
this, this, notice the growing faith. At first it was like, I believe in a higher power. And now he's, I believe in the promise of God. I believe in the word of God. His faith wasn't based on emotion. It was based on a promise. God said in John four, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, he said, God's looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, that spirit speaks of your heart. It speaks of a, a wholehearted devotion, being all in for Jesus. But it's not just all in on the emotion side. It's in truth. In other words, it's rightly informed by the word of God. And you see this, ro this royal official that he is believing in the promise of God. So after this word, we don't see him struggling. We don't see him wrestling. But we see that he just made his way. Jesus spoke, he believed, and the desperation is gone. God's word is so good. This word, the Bible tells us over in 2 Timothy 3, tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. It means that these, these books that we're gifted to have, many of us have multiple copies throughout our home. Many of us have it at our fingertip on the screen of our phone. That we have, we have this, this word, but, but let's not lose the awe of the word. The word is God's breathe, God's breath. Like this is his word, truth without any mixture of error. 66 books written by 40 authors, written over a span of 1,500 years, and yet they all teach one central truth, and that is that Jesus is king and that he came to give salvation. We see this all through the word. That this word of God is profitable, the Bible says. It's breathed out for, it's breathed out for teaching, for correction, for reproof, and for instruction. The Bible says that this word equips every person for every good work. I mean, who doesn't need that? I need that. And this is God's word to us. And for this royal official, he heard the word of God. He heard the promise of God and he rested in that. He placed his faith and trust, not in now just some generic power, but in the promise of God's word. But it doesn't stop there. Verse 51 says this, as he was going down, so he's leaving Cana, he's headed to Capernaum that his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. And so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So this royal official has sought out, found Christ. He's got the promise of God. He's resting in that. Like I said, I don't know what it looked like for him to get back to Capernaum, but, but he's, he's on his way. And those who no doubt were tending to his son and, and caring for him, they're like, he's better now. I, I gotta, we got to go find, we got to go find the royal official who, whatever his name was, we don't know. But they made a beeline for Cana and he's making a beeline for Capernaum and they cross paths. And this, this daddy has the wits about him to say, what time was he healed? I, I don't know that I'm thinking about those kind of details, but, but, but he's like, what, what time was it? And they said to him, it was yesterday about the seventh hour, the fever left and the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, 
your son will live. And I want you to see the journey of faith, real faith. It moves from like, there's a higher power. And it moves to trusting in the promise of the person of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God, God in the flesh. And now the Bible says that he himself believed. And that is that word which speaks to placing your entire weight and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. What a journey. Maybe it sounds kind of like ours. I don't know what your journey looked like, but it may have begun believing like you look around, you see the world, you see creation. There must be a designer to this. There's no way this is just some random chance and occurrence. So you seek truth. As you seek truth, God reveals himself in truth. And so for this brother, we see a journey of real faith. The Bible says in verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live and he himself believed and all of his household, which I believe is another kind of mark of real faith. Is it real faith? Isn't this thing that we have that we keep locked up in a jar and we tuck away in our hearts and we keep it to ourselves and we walk around and we have this, this truth that we just carry. No, this, this man's life was changed. His life was changed. Jesus changes our lives. It's what he does. And so what happens? I don't know exactly what it looked like, but the Bible says that he and his entire household came to believe faith and trust in Jesus, which is the theme of John's gospel. Why have you written these things? I've written these things so you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. You believe, you place your entire weight and trust in Jesus and his life and his family's life is changed. And his belief and trust isn't in a power it's in the person and the promise of Jesus Christ. The Bible goes on to say in verse 54 that this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So just a heads up as we journey through the gospel of John, John is going to hone in on seven specific miracles. The first he speaks out, the first sign was the turning the water of the wine in Cana. This is the second healing the royal official son. He did way more. We, we read even back from John chapter one, like he did many signs in, in Jerusalem during Passover. And, and so, so, but, but John's going to really focus on, on a few of these through his gospel. But I do want us to see our like real faith. It isn't being curious and it isn't intellectual agreement and it isn't selfish desire. Real faith believes in the promise and person of Jesus. And a third truth that we'll see is that real faith endures. Real faith endures. This is the reality that separates real faith from fake faith. Fake faith is here for a moment and it's gone the next. Jesus warns all through scripture is like, you know, did we not do this? Did we not? He's like, he says in Matthew 7, 21, depart from me. I never, I never knew you. And so it's not a, it's not an intellectual. It's placing your entire weight and trust in Jesus. Real faith isn't conditional on if God gives me what I want or doesn't give me what I want. Real faith is placing your entire trust 
in him. Real faith isn't just knowing that God has the power to save. It's believing that God has the power to save you and to keep you. Real faith is a keep on believing faith. That's why we're called as Christians, we're called believers. We're actively continuing to believe in Jesus. And so through the scripture, we see that there are those who follow Jesus for a little while and then they depart. And I think Jesus warns us in that over in John chapter six, verse 66, Jesus says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the 12, do you, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Colossians 1, verse 21 through 23, Paul writes, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Over in Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 14, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another Every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. To keep on believing faith. John 8 verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you abide, that word means to remain. That word, it actually refers to where, what your address is. So as a believer, when you repent of your sin and place your faith and trust in Christ, you have a new address. The old has passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're in Christ. That is your address. And so I want to be very careful in, in, in walking through this because based on the scripture and the word, that when a person repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus, they are saved. They are eternally secure. And I love that. We actually just walked through a, our first step class last hour. And I love John chapter 10, verse 28. The Bible says this, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Can somebody say amen? Isn't that, isn't that a good word? Like my salvation isn't rooted in me and my ability. It's rooted in him and what he has done on my behalf. No one can snatch me from his hand. That is eternal security of the believer. It is a rest that comes in knowing that when you are saved, you are saved. And my testimony and perhaps yours is that when you pray to repent and receive Christ, is that he changed you. And that's what Jesus is helping us see in this text. Jesus changes our lives. I want to be very sensitive to this because God 
uses all means to draw people to himself. But I've spoke with many people who say they, they root their salvation in the fact that they prayed a prayer 20, 30, 40 years ago. And praise God for that. That's my testimony. But here's the question. Has your life been changed? Has your life been transformed? I'm not asking if you lived a perfect life. There's, time, I, there's times in my testimony where I was a Christian, you would have never known it. I mean, we, we fall short for all of sin and fall short of the, God, the glory of God. Like, but my life has been changed because when I did receive Christ, he placed his spirit in me and he changed me from the inside out, changed my want to, changed my desires. And so, so, so the question is, is, is this, is, is if that's your testimony, praise the Lord. But the question is, has your life been changed? Has your heart been changed? Many will say, I, I walked an, hour, an aisle and I talked to a preacher. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. But the question is this, is has there been life transformation since you walked down that aisle? Some would say, well, well I've been baptized. Praise God. But the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that, that, that you're baptized as a step of obedience once you've received Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Salvation is by faith in Christ. But if you're, you're banking on that, the question is, has your life been changed? And you say, well, I've, been a, I've become a member of a church. I've been a member. That's great. The question is this is, has your life been changed? Because those who were disciples initially, the Bible says in John 6, after many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. Why? Because they did not truly believe. They did not truly place their entire weight and trust in Jesus. And it was superficial. It was passing. It was there for a moment. It's gone. They're on to the next thing. And there's absolutely zero, zero life change. Where Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and no one can snatch them out of my hand. What a promise, what a rest. So as I wrap up today, in a sobering way, I just invite all of us to evaluate our faith. I am not trying to stir up doubt of your salvation. That is not, that is not what I'm here to do. I'm here to point to truth. And here's what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit is big enough and strong enough that if you have had that time and place in your life, you've repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus, I believe the Holy Spirit is big enough and strong enough to give you a peace and a rest. Like I said, there's been times, ups and downs, times where we're like, listen, but, but the Holy Spirit had a great peace and rest. My life has never been the same and it could be that you're here today and you, you have a peace about your relationship with Jesus. But if you're honest, your faith really isn't growing. Like you don't feel like you're moving forward in your faith, to which I would say the Holy Spirit is big enough and strong enough that if we seek the Lord and ask the Lord, show me any way in me that is not honoring to you. Show me, God, what you want me to to call out, to repent, to turn from, to, to trust in you and and and. Perhaps God is calling you to a step of obedience. And it might be to follow in believer's baptism. 
It might be to, 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 to address this, this what's becoming a stronghold in your life that you know doesn't honor the Lord. And whatever that is, and that God would continue and desire to grow our faith, to grow our faith. But then I would also say, perhaps there is someone here and as they reflect on their faith, they maybe relate more with the royal official initially who's just like, well, I, I believe in a higher power. And maybe even there's this intellectual agreement that, that, that maybe even agree that Jesus is God, but there's, no, there's not been that, 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 that time, that place where you've repented and believed, place your entire weight and trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation to which through the text, we see God's pursuit and his love for those who are far from him. And his invitation is always there to repent and to believe. As we were driving to church this morning, me and my, my youngest boy, well, not my youngest boy, my next youngest boy, Shepherd, was with me. And we're driving on the way to church this morning early. And he said, he said, Daddy, he said, the people who go to hell, do they get a second chance? to accept Jesus? I said, son, they don't. I said, that's why it's so important right now that we share with as many people as we can and that people know the hope and the grace and the good news about Jesus. And to which I would say to all of us, this is too big to simply push to another time. That today is the day of salvation. And so we're going we're gonna to pray in a moment. We'll have a song and we'll have pastors here. We want you to know we're here to serve you. We're here to walk alongside you. We're here to pray with you. The altar is always open. But I would encourage you to examine your faith. And God desires to grow us, to mature us, to grow us in our faith. And he also desires to seek and to save the lost. That was his mission. That's why he came, to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. And I thank you for this word. I, I just know that, that that royal official could have had no idea the journey that he was about to take. Father, that, that what began as, as seeking a higher power ended in a personal relationship with you. And God, I pray that today, that as believers, that God, we would be intentional to invest in the most important relationship that we have, and that is our relationship with you. God, that every time we open the word and every time we commune with you through prayer, it's an opportunity to communicate. It's an opportunity to hear your voice. It's an opportunity to, to grow in our faith. So God, I do pray for the believers in the room. And I do thank you for the peace that comes in your promise. That God, that we would cling to your truth, your promise when, when life may seem so uncertain and similar to the royal official, that God, we can rest in your promise. We can rest in your promise. And God, I also pray for that person that may be here or listening online that has never came to the time and place in their life where they received you as Lord of their life, believing, placing their entire weight and trust. I pray today would be the day of salvation. So God, we love you. 
we praise you and thank you for this story, this testimony of a desperate dad who was working for a king, but now he serves a new king. And that's you, God. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.